0: Okay, Mark, thank you, yeah. Um, Yes, this uh, suggestion has come in about um, perhaps concentrating a little uh, about leadership. And perhaps I shall say some things tonight that may provoke further questions, um, which is all well and good. Uh, you you know that I suppose I speak from uh, well I I was raised in church circles so that means since a little child uh, I was aware of churches of different sorts my mother was a baptist And my father was what they call Plymouth Brethren, or Brethren. Um, My mother went along to a congregational church. I had to go to both, because mother was um, a very um, strong-minded lady, and um, she didn't like to go with Dad. So... They both went to their different churches, and I got dragged along to both, and so I saw firsthand many things, as far as styles of leadership are concerned. And without going into too much detail, um, because I was somewhat of a musician, um, I got rapidly involved with the Christian music scene, playing the piano in big uh, auditoriums for big meetings. Some of you in the UK know, have heard of the Albert Hall. I played there a number of times for big meetings and also played in a band, uh, one of those early Christian bands. And so... First-hand, I saw different leaderships, different styles. I saw evangelists. I saw all kinds of things, some of which, to use a George Fox phrase, I knew were utterly wrong. And I knew in my innermost being... Those things, the what George Fox used to say, his carnality struck at my life. and what he meant by that was that some kind of behavior going on in some evangelist or leader or priest or pastor struck at the life of God in him. And um, serious things to contemplate and I want to say right at the beginning now we do not need to go to the ways of men or the books that men have written. Experts for instance one of the favourite ones especially in Asia but in parts of the UK Uh, and also in the USA, one of the favorite authors who writes on church leadership and so on and so on is called John Maxwell. And uh, he's followed like a guru. And uh, he uses the Bible only as a tool to justify the things that he has culled from the world's systems. I've made it my business to read some of his stuff. And he will quote the Bible, and he will even quote Jesus. But it will only be to pad out the things he's already made up his mind about. And I want to say to you all, those of you who have some leadership in churches, some who are looking to God for the future of a group and so on. And how it will go is you have ample things laid out in the scripture. Soak in it. Go to it. Do not go to the books. And above all, go to the Spirit of God who wrote the Bible, who saw to it that it was written. Uh, As soon as, for instance, you will find no justification in the Bible, in the New Testament at all for a one-man ministry, none at all. For a pastor who does everything. You'll find no justification in the scripture for the idea of congregational leadership, where everything is the happy majority that carries the day, which will, of course, mean that you will create thereby a frustrated minority. Thus are the world's ways. So we must go. To this blessed book um, and soak in it and understand something. And I'd like to start with the event in uh, just as a word of warning, really, uh, that is a constant thing in Luke's gospel, where the Lord Jesus has well you 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 will know how the Lord moved inexorably toward Calvary, and you re- all remember the plot that came to kill Jesus and how the the lord's Supper he institutes the supper it's luke twenty two and He took bread, and the first supper. And he took bread, verse 19. He took the cup, verse 20. And he talked about his body being broken and his blood being poured out. And the new covenant, and he talked about... These things, such a solemn occasion, must have been uh, soaked in a sense of foreboding um, of strangeness. Um, and uh, then you it's finished. Jesus warns of one of them going to betray him. And then look at verse 23. It should shock you and me to the core. Then they began to question among themselves which of them would do this thing. And then verse 24. So there are immediately examining who's, go, who's it going to be, him, 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 him. They're looking at one another, and then verse 24, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So there in this most solemn, solemn, solemn occasion, Uh, Having eaten the bread and drunk the cup, there at the supper there is a fight, a quarrel. Who's going to be the greatest? Thus is the carnal heart unchanged. So serious when you reflect on this, even at the communion, and I most certainly in churches that I have been, have observed that very same thing among brethren. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of an assembly's gathering, Mm -hmm. I remember on a platform in a large conference that was a regular conference among the group of churches, which I was very involved within this country years ago and I'd spoken in that conference meeting that morning and the leader of the conference lent across to me quietly and he said to me this you realize that many of your peers those who preach those who are elders in this conference Listening to you are burning with jealousy. And he said that to me. And you realize how, when we touch the realms of leadership and touch the realms of who will go ahead and who will have a responsibility of oversight. We touch realms that, that are so, so terrible. Um, do not expect anything much from the world, will you? Uh, those of you who are living in North America, you will know that it is years in your country since you had a shepherd who cared for the country a statesman leader in the nation. It is years. And in Great Britain, almost certainly uh, you would say that possibly the last time this country had a man who actually cared for the nation and cared for truth and cared for the wonder of uh, just democracy, if you like, was Winston Churchill, probably the last one for all his flaws. And virtually all of them since have just had self-interest at heart. So let's not look at, for help from the world, nor from the businessmen of this world. And I may seem to labour this point. But we have to face these things, brothers and sisters. And the church is not facing these things. So we must turn to the Spirit. And we must turn to the book that the Spirit has granted us. And we must ask the Spirit to lead us into the vision of the eternal so if i were to ask you if you were asked to speak a bit about leadership why do you think that um, there's no mention of elders in one corinthians and yet it's a church epistle anyone here tell me another major church epistle there are two one is one corinthians And the other one, of course, is Ephesians. They are the major church epistles in the Bible, in the New Testament. Neither of them mention elders. Neither of them do that. And why ever is that? And let no one here think that that eldership and leadership is an office in the church uh, it is it is not an official position that requires filling you say to me ah but in 1 timothy chapter 3 it says if any man desires the office of a bishop well the word office is not there if It really reads in the original language. If any man is reaching out after leadership or oversight, bishop care in the church, he's seeking a noble work, a noble work. Uh, So there's no sense of an office that has to be filled. That, of course, is exemplified in the what Peter and the others did in Acts 1. You remember when Judas had fallen, and Peter, in one of their early meetings before the Holy Ghost came, his position needs to be filled. Mm-hmm. Well, God already had it in mind, the spirit already had it in mind, you know, who was to be the 12th, if I may put it that way. You know, and most of your scholars will say, well, God had it in mind because it was Paul, who was one born out of due time, as he calls himself. You see, but Peter was still in the old idea of filling the position, filling the position, filling the position. Church is a living organism. It's like a river, and the will of God in your life and my life will be like a river. So where about would you go, for instance, say when you think in 1 Corinthians about... Is there any mention? Why doesn't Paul talk about eldership and that kind of thing in the church? Simply because he knew he was dealing with those who were much troubled with pride. And he's not going to talk about it in that way. Because he knows what it will do for them. And uh, just like I've seen it happen in churches, young men uh, can't wait until they get the office of an elder and they arrive. And uh, at the end of uh, 50 years of deep involvement in churches on, I don't know, in many countries and uh, You know, I would say this to you all, and you may want to sort of kick me out for this one, but of course churches usually develop an eldership or a leadership or don't, you know. And uh, I would say this, any church that I had any part of oversight in, I would never encourage the elders to have meetings in private. Let the elders' meetings take place in the public face of everybody. Let the people hear what is being said. Let there be no elitism developing. Let there be no bishops' meetings where... The elders can discuss Sister So and so, that horribly strong woman who causes a lot of problems in the church, in the meetings, or all this sort of thing. You now, you might want to kick me out, but I have, if you were to examine the Greek carefully in Acts 15, you would find that there was a council in Jerusalem. With the apostles and the elders. And if you examine the Greek carefully. You will find that that meeting took place. In the public gathering of the saints. You'll have to delve deep. But it's there. It took place. It's almost as though God detests. He wants to save us from um, our weaknesses and the tendencies to pride, and he longs for us all to recognise the, the wonder of what church is as the family of God. So you can begin to think straight away about how do you conduct your families, those of you who have the blessing of Christian family. Um, do you when you have some significant decision to be made do you gather around the table with your children of all ages and then though mum and dad talk a lot about it and discuss it mainly they do so in the public eye of the of the the rest of the children. And perhaps the rest of the children have something to say. I mean, I could tell you a lot of stories because, you know, I've soaked in scripture on this matter for 60 years and pondered it again and again. And accumulated with that is all the experience that one learns sometimes the hard way sometimes the hard way. And all of that leads to this position. You know that Paul, in the 1 Corinthians chapter, he does refer to the kind of person that uh, they are to look to in the midst of them. It's in the 16th chapter, and he He encourages them to to look to these people. He doesn't give them a title or a name. No man who wants a title is worthy of it. Mm. The real elder, the real shepherd, the real apostle, the real prophet, the real teacher, he does the work and couldn't care less about the name. because his heart is for the Lord and for the people. And here you are in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, verse 13, Watch, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, Let all that you do be done in love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus. They were mentioned, actually, uh, in the first chapter, Stephanus. Apparently, Paul recalled baptizing one or two of them. You know the household of Stephanus, and that is the first fruits of Achaia. And that they have addicted themselves, that's the Greek word,
1: mm-hmm. they
0: have addicted themselves to being deacons, the service of the saints. That you submit to such and to everyone who works and labours with us. So he talks about a leadership that is present in the church in Corinth, and that leadership is in a household. And they haven't got any titles. They haven't got any names. And there are perhaps such other ones in the midst of the flock in Corinth. And they have this mark. They've, they've addicted themselves. They've devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Isn't, isn't that a wonderful thing? So he does mention... Leadership there who's who's done that who's done that hmm. who's who's coming from underneath i I'm, I'm thinking back into luke twenty two you know where they were arguing as to who was going to be the greatest now. I want to go into the book of the Revelation now. Because I have to tell you that whenever I think about a subject, I try to begin with the Trinity, with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And I try to always begin in heaven. So I don't begin on earth and I do this with everything I'm asked to speak about. And I I, I go there. I I try to go up into heaven because I know that I'm told by the Lord Jesus that I've got to pray like this. Oh, Father, hallowed is your name. You know, your kingdom comes. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And that's what I wanted to see happen in Exeter all those years ago. Including issues of leadership as in heaven, so on earth, Lord. And when we moved to Perth and I had responsibility That was the vision I had, as in heaven, so on earth, Lord. So I wasn't even thinking particularly of whether there are gifted persons, prophets and apostles. And that that wasn't foremost, oh Lord, as in heaven, so on earth. And when I look in my life and have to examine myself, When I've made mistakes in leadership, and I have made them. And, you know, I've had to go to God, oh Lord. May your heart be in me. You know, I've got to know that I'm addicted to the service of the saints. You know, addicted to it. You know, that you love the people. I enjoyed going to the meeting this morning. Haven't been there for two weeks, seeing people face to face, and just enjoy the persons, the people. And they're a very mixed bag in that group. So when you go up into heaven and have a good look, is there leadership in heaven? (laughs) <laughs> it's, you know, you think about it. I, I'm I'm trying to provoke you to do some thinking about this. Um, before ever uh, there was an earth, uh, in the Trinity, is there equality? Is there equality? The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And, of course, you all know and and gladly say, oh, yes, oh, yes, yes, hallelujah. And yet, when you search the scripture, uh, you find that in the being of love, being of beings, God of love, to thee our hearts we raise. The love of the Father to the Son, and yet even within that Godhead as as they get to work, we do find, don't we, that in that love, it does seem the Father takes initiative, doesn't it? I don't want to push these things, and that the Son, with great gladness, exalts in his father's love and leadership. Mm-hmm. And then the father pours leadership upon the son, and the son pours it all back on the father. And you've got a little glimpse of that in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, haven't you? Mm-hmm. You, you know the scripture, don't you? Where you get um, a little insight from a Trinitarian perspective, of the, the relationship of the Father and the Son and all to do with the kingdom and the program, the things yeah. that are happening. We can't stop in it, but it's, it's there. We ought to, to read a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, it says in verse 20,
1: yes.
0: you know that Christ is risen from the dead. And whoever did that for him, the Father, didn't he? By the Spirit's power, raised him from the dead. How wonderful to trust the Father like Jesus did. You know, it's an amazing thing. We mustn't ever think that Jesus' Spirit went to the devil or anything like that in death. You know who he gave his spirit to, don't you? At Calvary. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death, but he gave his spirit to the Father. Into your hands. Because he knew his Father was utterly trustworthy. He had an eternity of knowing that. And uh, it says here that... um, you know, in Christ shall all be made alive and I go down. And then in verse 24, it says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom. The Son delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign Till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. (laughs) Who's that? That's God the Father. You know, he's accepted. And now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will be subject to him who put all things under him. The God may be all in all. A bit complicated scripture, really. You have to think it through step by step. But you have a mutuality of authority. Father putting things under the sun, and then the sun putting it all back under the father. And so you have a mutuality of authority that is so harmonious, as in heaven. So on earth, that's what we should be aiming for. You know, um, (laughs) I I, I go into the book of the Revelation now, and I take you into the fifth chapter. And I, I take you there, of course, because, you know, this is the very spirit of leadership. If you put people into leadership in your church by vote, it is less than the best. There should be at least unanimity, that is, no strong negative from anyone. Some may feel well, I'm easy about him, but if there's anyone who has a strong negative, I tell you, wait, wait, until that negative is removed. Um, you know that you you look in the Revelation chapter five, and you find the one enthroned on high and there he is with a book in his hand and the book is strongly sealed perfectly locked up and there's no one as a strong angel who's crying out in the second verse who's worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much. And there's your weeping, sensitive John. Uh, he's seeing things, he's hearing things. One of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And I looked. So words have been said. There's no singing going on. And he looks, he just looks, silence. And I was pondering this earlier today, and as I often do in the scripture, I asked the Lord to give me an insight, to take me there. And this weeping prophet, you know, this weeping apostle, He's been told to stop his weeping. His tears subside. He's looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah, the leader of the universe, looking for him. And there are no voices to interrupt, no noise, no music, nothing. He's just looking. I wonder how long. That's what I was wondering today. Daddy he, you know, because I know that often I've gone to this scripture and I've looked. I've looked for the lion. I've looked for the leader. I've looked, you know, I've looked. I've looked for real leadership. I've looked for it and i've looked there and i've sat there and i've thought about this and i've looked and this is what john saw and it says uh, i looked and behold in the midst of the throne your version may say at the side the of the throne what does your say Don? between the throne between the throne the four living creatures. Mm-hmm. And among the elders, you know, stood a lamb. Mm-hmm. As it had been slain. Hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Having perfect authority. Seven horns. That's what the seven horns signify. The, the authority, the perfect authority, it belongs, the perfect leadership belongs to this lion who, when you look at him, he's a little lamb slain, as it were, freshly slain. You mm-hmm. probably know that in the as though he was slain. A moment ago. Mm-hmm. So you know, and I think of this of our of my own heart, and I think of leaders' hearts and elders' hearts and apostles' hearts. Mm-hmm. They're in the firing line of many, many things, brothers and sisters.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're the butt of criticism. They're hit by all sorts of things. They may be uh, tending in their hearts toward the letter of the scripture. They may be teaching brothers who just love to play with the words of the book and they find comfort in the book from the hurts that people unload upon them, let it be known unto us all, let it be known unto my own heart. If I'm to be a true leader, I must be as though freshly slain. Today, a, a living sacrifice. Truly a living sacrifice. This may a bit be a bit hard for some of us to take, but you see, I've met so many elders and leaders and pastors, I have to say to you, and you know they are men who have developed a calloused skin. They're pretty tough guys. And you've got to be tough. You've got to have a lion-like quality about you. In order to to bear leadership, but oh, take care of your heart, brother. Take care of your heart, sister. Take care inwardly that you're, you know, as one who's slain freshly, freshly.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. You know. And he looked, behold, I looked and behold, there was this, and seven eyes, because, of course, leadership needs discernment. It needs eyes. You know, part of the role of leadership May I give you an illustration from long ago that came back to my mind? Do you know I was at a a Bible seminary college place up in Glasgow for a number of years long ago and uh, in one of the years I was asked to be the leader of 40 students who worked, we worked in our practical work in a place called Castlemilk, a very low-grade housing area on the outskirts, the outskirts of Glasgow. Mm. And uh, I was the head of this group. And, of course, we had our prayer meeting once a week, and we were put into the church library, uh, the college library, I'm sorry, And there was a few desks and a few seats, but a lot of us had to kneel down. And I chose to kneel down. I don't know whether we put our elbows on the bookshelf or something like that. But people would pray, and it was, I think, the first or second prayer session of the new intake, and the new students had been allocated to me, to our group. And people began to pray, and I suppose I must have introduced the meeting, I have no recollection. But the prayer time began, and some of the students, and I was kneeling. And then I heard an Irish voice begin to pray. And this Irish voice, I liked the spirit of her prayer. (laughs) And uh, I was kneeling with my head down between my knees. And uh, Hazel, she says, she was kneeling too. But, of course, it was a bit crowded. And so I didn't get up, but I raised myself up and overlooked to see, now, who is that person praying? Make a note. (laughs) You know, top of the list. (laughs) Okay. And... um, You know, it's almost as though you were down on your knees, but you had eyes. (laughs) You You were taking time to hear, to listen, to appreciate, to see. And the Lamb was full of eyes. He was the seven eyes, perfect discernment. It's one of the one of the roles of leadership one of the is to have discernment we so need discernment brothers and sisters then leaders and their orders need discernment and uh one of the things that discernment go- does even when it comes from the spirit is you have to handle it don't you Perhaps it will hurt you. Perhaps it will provoke you. And so I come back to being a freshly slain lamb. I come back to that innermost state of the lion. You know, that when he was looked at, that's what he was like. Because it's it's only the tender Mm -hmm. lamb heart that can cope with seeing, with seeing many things. You know, with without that seeing turning against you, so it turns you into a negative-minded critic. Now, I'm well aware that I'm talking to you as a, a man in my later 70s, with all that sort of background behind me, for some of these things you learn in the bitter experience of your own heart but I tell you our hearts have got to be set oh Lord on earth in earth as it is in heaven please you see what's the good of a man not only being an elder in God's church, but being an apostle to boot, and maybe having prophetic gift and teaching gift, and uh, if he's if he's not like this, if he's not like this. And you see that verse seven in the Revelation five says. Then this lamb came and took the scroll out of the right hand. It's, it's, um, it's verse 7. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And he had wonderful access there to the Father. You know... He didn't do anything else. He went to the Father. He had access there, right there to the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense and which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a song, isn't it uh, well, It's wonderful because now we discover that this lamb is surrounded by life. Mm-hmm. You know the the word for living creatures is a single word in greek the The word for eternal life is zoe
1: mm-hmm.
0: Zoe. And uh, these, this, the word for living creatures is zayau, which means they're absolutely charged with life. You see, in order to be a, a, a wise leader, a kind leader, a faithful leader, whether you call apostle or prophet or elder or bishop or these names. It's the states where you live. And the Lamb's in the midst of life. Everything's alive. You see, you've got to be like that, brother. Because there's enough death out there around about you, and there'll be death in the church as well. Jesus had death among the twelve. He had the deathly spirit working in Judas. He had the self serving thing operating in the eleven undealt with. You know, he had the criticisms hitting him of people. What is the counteraction to this? You know, oh, the, the lamb living in the realm of the Zhao, the the living ones. Live. I love it. I love it. I you know, our problem is we're too mechanistic. We're too so called scientific. It's all measured this way and that. Mm. We think, you know, We're advancing Australia fair. You know, you don't know that, but in the um, National Anthem of Australia, it finishes, Advance Australia fair. That's the last line. We're young and free. Australians all let us rejoice for we are young and free. We're Advance Australia fair. And some wag, you know, used to say publicly, Advance australia where wherever we're going you see and uh, you know the mechanistic life we might have technology and so on and the church may have it where we're going in our hearts that's the thing you see and the mechanistic is plastic it's hard and i love the lord jesus don't you Oh, he says to them, worrying their insides out, consider the
2: the lilies
0: of the field, you know. And he takes up the things of the, the lamb and the sheep and so on. You know, and how did the Lord Jesus in his heart as man Ah, you know, it's not just me and you reading our Revelation book. You do know that Jesus, with the eye of the Spirit, he could see those living creatures. You know that. And he knew about the elders. There, the council surrounding God, his Father enthroned on high, you know, and he, he saw, and uh, this was what, oh, in my life, I can't hard. You see, I'm dull. You're dull. Mm-hmm. We've been made dull by sin. Mm-hmm. Jesus was pristine. However did he cope with the petty, fogging arguments of these men? And the criticisms of the Pharisees. Oh, he knew them through and through. He loved them through and through. Everything that he saw was balanced by the wonder of the Father and the heavenly vision that sustained him, that enabled him to see the things around about him. Do You you know about the River Nile, don't you? You know, churches are a little bit like um, uh, a river. Well, the Bible says that, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And um, the River Nile has... There's the blue and there's the white and there's another one, the name of which begins with A, but I can't remember its name. And, you know, Egypt is warded by the River Nile. And there are these three main tributaries that flow together. Haydn and I have spent time where the blue and the white meet. And 60% from my memory of the water that feeds the river comes from the blue, which has its rise in Ethiopia up in the hills. And you are to understand that in a church... A church is like a river, and no river has just one source. There will be rivulets, there will be springs that spring up. Perhaps here we are, I'm speaking to you from within... Um, less than a mile of the river X that flows down from X moor. And there are rivulets that flow and up there on the moor and they flow. And there is a main rivulet and there's all these rivulets that come in and so the body of the river flows. And a church is like that, you see. There, there are those in the church, in, in whom the blessed Holy Ghost is rising. is rising, and there are a rivulet, and they flow, and they flow. And there are others, perhaps, rivulets that flow that have the Holy Ghost rising in their hearts. And perhaps there is a, a more dominant, one or two tributaries. Mm -hmm. You know that the river, the spring is springing and the nature of their personality and their calling means that they are a a greater channel, if I may put it that way, in volume at least, not in quality. Mm -hmm. And so they flow, and this is what elders should be. And none of us have anything to give. Unless it has its wonderful rise in the ocean of God's love and comes in and falls into the ground of our hearts and begins to spring up. And I just pictured for you what a church is like and in a a sort of a way of the pictures of from the creation. Oh don't you want to be in a church like that you see i think of you know those of you who are living and joining with the group in in um in uh, what's the name of it christo you see and oh brothers mm-hmm. especially you brothers let me encourage you drink the waters the rain from heaven will you mm-hmm. And let that blessed water wash your inner parts. And let it spring up through you. And you may just be, or think yourself just to be, uh, a little rivulet. Ah, but rivulets, when they begin to flow, they will increase in volume and give forth Your part. Uh, You know, in our little meeting this morning, Hazel tells me there were 30 people there. Phil, the leader of the meeting, began it by saying, Darren, that's one of the men, has had something on his heart he wants to share. And Darren reads everything out. Mm -hmm. He's written it down diligently and he read it out. And uh, the rivulet flowed. It was a living word. took him five minutes to read it
1: Mm
0: -hmm. out to us. And it quickened some of the other people. And then another one contributed. And that's just a meeting. But a church is more than a meeting. A church is much more than a meeting. It is the gathering of saints. It is the care of saints. It is the washing of one another's feet. You know, am I setting before you a vision? (laughs) Uh, That gripped my heart 60 years ago. And uh, I, I saw it. I saw it in part especially in my father's church. I did not see it in my mother's Baptist church because everything was led from the front, but I saw it in the life of the church. And as a boy, I wondered at it. I saw it. With men that I knew uh, plumber or a gas fitter or an accountant or a this or a that and their wives and I saw my own father who couldn't preach to save his life I saw him being the first one visiting the sick and loving them and going off to hospital to visit mm. them I these things write indelibly on your heart hallelujah And you know the river's in you, my brother, the river's in you, my sister. You know, it's no good waiting for the river to be like it flows in Mark or it flows in somebody else. You know, it doesn't begin with a great big flood. It begins (laughs) with a little flow let it flow you know one of the ladies this morning she told us that she was walk, walking through Newton Abbott and she saw a homeless man sit on the floor someone that she had met before a year ago and had been praying for and there he was in front of her and she said I went to him and I talked to him and uh, You know, uh, she was absolutely thrilled to let the river flow a little bit to someone who was homeless and messed up and Mm -hmm. uh, who she'd been praying for since first she'd registered that person a year earlier. You see, oh, you see, leadership, we can't just (laughs) talk about it. You know, if I come back to the subject next week, I'll you know, use other scriptures. But I wanted to take you here first in the book of the Revelation. You see, because I I go on in in the book and I go into chapter 7. And if you were to do this, and of course you can't, but, you know, everything comes through the Lamb nature. You know, all the... Events, the opening of the seals that sparks off the trumpets. You, you know it all, you know. And, and have a look at this. He saw in the seventh chapter in verse nine, he said, I, I looked after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And so it goes on. And then one of the elders asked John in the 13th verse, who are these arrayed in white robes?" and where did they come from and I said to him sir you know so he said to me these are ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb what a a, a phrase that is You know, oh, Lord Jesus, will you help me to keep clean by washing Mm -hmm. the robes of my heart in your life? When you see the blood of the lamb, put in brackets after the word blood life. Put in brackets the word life. Because that's what blood signifies. They washed their robes in the blood. That is the life of the Lamb. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. That's that's it. You know, that's leaders and elders. You know, they must be white-robed. Am I right in saying that the elders... Are are white-robed the people we we meet in chapter 4 around the throne with their crowns am i am i right in saying they're white-robed they're keeping themselves clean you see i believe brothers and sisters that Paul was right when he said you just submit yourselves to people who've addicted themselves like this, or keeping themselves clean. I believe that through such people, heavenly vision will come. I do believe that they will have eyes of discernment, that they will be dwelling in love, that they won't be authoritarian, they'll be kept from it. They will carry authority. You know, it will be signified by the fact that they have crowns. But after time, when anything much goes on, that they see anything that causes wonder, they take their crowns off and cast them before the throne, before the Lord. So their crowns are on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off all the time. You know, because everything is filled with wonder. To them, and they're thrilled when they see this one blessed, and that one blessed, and the other one blessed, and it just calls them to cast their crown. And if someone comes up and says to them, Do you know? Oh, you preached a great sermon yesterday, you see. off goes the crown <laughs> you know, or something. And if someone comes along and says "You weren't so good last night were you, off comes your crown, <laughs> just the <laughs> same. You know whatever you do, you're understanding what I'm saying, you're just in the delight of of the life of God you're ever washing keeping clean they've made and even in the tribulation you know that tribulation makes you dirty if you're not careful mm-hmm. tribulation and you'll have plenty of it if you're someone on the platform you know <laughs> dear old Ezekiel was told, be not afraid of their faces, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, you can get dirtied by it, but you wash your roads in the blood, the life of the Lamb, oh Jesus, more of you, more of you. It is very beautiful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you might say to me, well, it's not practical enough, Bernard. Well, in a way, I'm aiming not to be practical, you see, Mm -hmm. because this is the way I learned. And I'm still learning. There was a time I remember going to a conference for men, and it was 51 years ago. And I kind of thought I was in grade eight. You know, by that time I was in grade eight. You know, I feel that I've gone backwards and I'm in grade one now. You know, because, you know, this is is where I want to live. Now, if you don't want to live here and you want to have a nice, sharp, uh, organized church set up, um, count me out if you want it all to be, you know, all mapped out and all organized and all this and all that and all the other and, you know, everything programmed, you know, I've heard of some of them, there are new ones on the block now about, you know you know, organising this way and Jesus did it this way. I can remember so well, you know, the law of 50. You probably, that's gone out of fashion, you know, but the law of 50. He made them to sit down in companies of 50, you know, the feeding of the, of the 5,000 men. He made them sit down. So once you get to 50, split up, you know, and that was all the fad, you know, that's what we all had to do and uh, of course it's passed away because it was mechanistic again you you've got to well, you know do you mind a story from a friend of mine he's a lovely brother he's a very little man in stature
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, his name's cornelius and he's i've always loved uh, cornelius mm-hmm. And uh, I was present at his marriage. And uh, Cornelius was a frustrated man, a pastor, pastor of a vineyard church. And, uh, he was such a frustrated man and I'd go and preach there, sun from, from time to time. And he'd, he'd pour out his frustrations to me. And he said, I want to take a, a master's degree. And uh, so he went off, did his master's degree and came back as frustrated as he went <laughs> <laughs> and dear Cornelius and, um, and then one time we were there, they'd organized a little conference, and we went off to the hills for the conference. And I said to Cornelius, You're so different.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he said, I said, What's happened to you?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he said, I've always known the call of God on my life. I'm all, I've always known that the Lord had separated me to his work. Mm -hmm. But I've allowed myself to be ensnared by the success orientation of the group of churches that I'm part of. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've come to understand that I'm a 50-congregation man, And how I love those 50 the Lord has given. And ever since I came to that contentment, it's all flowed. That's what Cornelius said to me. Amen. Mm. Isn't that good? Mm. That's a good thing. You know. That's a good thing for Cornelius and a very good thing for those people that he's amongst amongst because he stopped getting the whip out (laughs) on himself (laughs) and on them and driving them. Yes. Blessed be in the name of the Lord. So I better look at the time and stop for now, but if you want uh, I'll come back a little bit to it next week or if anyone's got a question right now would that be all right Mark are you there I've lost you again where's where you gone seem to have disappeared where's Mark gone
2: yeah I'm here I'm here
0: you're hidden somewhere don't yeah oh, I'm here.
2: there.
0: <laughs> too, sorry
2: yeah no it's uh quite fine with me if uh if someone has a has a question uh
1: Something
2: to follow in on
1: there.
0: <laughs> Perhaps someone wants to tell me off and say, well, I don't agree with you on this or that, but that's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Before. <laughs> <laughs> Hazel says it's happened before.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here's the neck that twists the head.
2: <laughs> Anything uh, that people would appreciate uh, clarification on or something that's been said that you feel would be good to pick up briefly.
0: You appreciate, by the way, that so much of what I've said is by implication. Mm-hmm. So the Lamb heart
1: yes.
0: is unlocking everything in the book of the Revelation the lamb, the lion. He's unlocking everything. He's got the key to everything. And they're the kind of men that unlock a meeting and unlock their brothers. You know, they don't shove them through a kind of system, you know, but they help unlock we must learn to help unlock one another yeah.
1: i i have a little little question um i i am um, like like the open meeting but from time to time you get people who like to speak mm. and it and it doesn't really help the other people mm. how how do you how do you <laughs> yeah
0: from speaking I understand, Paul. Um, Well, take what happened a couple of weeks ago in our meeting,
1: uh,
0: one of the the little meetings that we go to, and that very thing happened. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it was a little bit uncomely and unhelpful. And I was grateful I'm not in leadership and of the church and I didn't respond to what the person said which was a direct criticism by the way of what someone else had said and what this second person had said lacked discernment and understanding but I didn't say anything and I was so grateful that the two leaders didn't say anything But the two leaders talked to me afterwards, very briefly. And what did I think? And I said to them, well, this particular person says little, you know. uh, But on this occasion, it was a she, unfortunately. She spoke out a turn. And I said, I'm glad you didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. But if she did it next week, next month, and again, I would take her aside and talk to her privately first. And then if she ignored the counsel and continued to do it, you would have to rebuke her publicly. And I think that's the kind way, and the same thing would be true for men, that... Ideally, part of the responsibility of a being a lamb-like leader is to go to someone privately who is ministering in an open meeting unhelpfully and to talk to them. And even, if I may say this to you, you, even if you're a conference speaker... I well remember returning from Australia for the first time into a certain country after five years and speaking at a conference. And there were many old friends and maybe 20 churches represented there, and that included 20 pastors. On about the second or the third day, those pastors came to me and they said to me, we would like to have an hour with you, Bernard. So, by all means. And so we sat in the afternoon and they very kindly said to me, Bernard, we so want your ministry in our country. But are you aware of so and so, so and so, so and so, so and so in your ministry? And uh, I listened to them and... I took it all to the Lord, and I had to get my own heart right. They were right, and so I was so grateful that they took me aside like that and talked to me. And we we've got to, we've got to heed. And so that would be my, I don't know if that helps, Paul, but that would be my encouragement. And this is part of the onerous responsibility on those who lead that's why i emphasize by implication that the blessed lamb
2: mm.
0: has seven eyes you see he has that perfect sight he has discernment and none of us have perfect sight um i know that but the spirit does give us sight to discern no that person is unhelpful they're they're moving in a a fleshly spirit. And in the end, it has to be confronted, ideally privately first, but that if it continues, it has to happen publicly. Mm. And even if it's a leader, he must be taken aside gently and um, spoken to if he will heed, because we're all in the school.
1: Yes. Amen. Hmm. Hallelujah. I wonder, um, uh, there's a couple of things, but um, this lamb-like, this slain lamb-like heart um, and this unity of hearts, is this something that um the lord draws out and develops over time as 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 a company is knit together and does it does it emerge do these things emerge as, as time goes on as as things um as things progress and as as things unfold mm. <clears throat> it's the first thing
0: mm. The I would say, you know, things are changed in people when they turn to the Lord, and the Lord is the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And these things, unless there is a dramatic and mighty outpouring of God's Spirit, if that occurs, then there is a sudden change. But usually even that sudden change... The, the precursor is that there is a gradual moving toward it where hearts cry and come to God, but there can be a sudden change mm. when the spirit comes. If there is not a sudden coming of the spirit like that, then there is a gradual flowing the tribute begins to flow, the the rivulet begins to flow in this heart and another heart and another heart. And meanwhile, those who know the spirit flowing in their hearts more deliberately, they must continue to flow and continue to flow and gradually others will be Added to the flow of that life, that one spirit. And so uh, I, I suspect in the days we now live that the second is the more likely. One shall be added, another shall be added, and that unity. The rivulets will flow. They will increase in volume. They will join and increase the combined flow. I suspect Mm -hmm. that in these days, it will be more gradual. So let those who have an understanding and have the river flowing in their hearts let them take heart and carry on. Does that help, Greg? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. What was your second point?
1: I think it kind of combined into, into the, the two things combined, because the second was, the, the thought was, um, in terms of uh, changing leaderships or whether, as as... And I, I guess it kind of, as things move on, and how that how that kind of changing leadership kind of happens, and in this kind of evolving. But I guess it's it's, kind of, it's coming down to that, isn't it? The the kind of the the mm-hmm. tribute, you know, kind of the rivers flowing, and then, yes, you know, kind of flowing in and yes, moving on and that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah.
0: I believe it is, of course, one of the, in church situations, I think one comes to mind as you speak Mm. immediately of a church that had the major rivulet mainstream in that church from its inception had been a couple a couple who were a, a great mum and dad wonderful mum and dad mm. and they had ministry between them and care and many were gathered in that church through a period of probably 15 years and they never moved they weren't travellers and they They were pastoral and there was teaching and there was a rich thing and many were added and the the river was flowing in other people as well and they did much in their town. Mm -hmm. And then the couple decided that they wanted to hand over to an itinerant minister who had moved into their area with his wife who was a teaching brother, a preaching brother. And there he was, already part of the church, using it as a base, and was well-loved. And they came to me, um, the couple came to me and said, what did I think about handing over to this brother? And I said... You know, his whole style will alter this church dramatically. Mm. The way things flow in him
1: Mm
0: -hmm. are all along the line of Bible, 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 teaching, teaching, teaching. He's not a pastoral heart. Are you ready for that? I said it could only possibly work Mm. if you moved 100 miles away but people must get ready, but some will leave. And he came to me, and he said to me, uh, what did I think about it? And I said the same things to him. Well, my brother, if you do so, you mustn't do it unless the couple move away. You mustn't do it. And you must adjust your own methodologies. You must adjust your own ministry. You can't be so dominant. You must leave, uh, you know, meetings open. You can't monopolize every meeting and so on. And I was very honest. They were all friends. Well, they did it. But the couple did not move. They stayed. He took over. And the church was in and has been in disarray ever since. Mm -hmm. That's what happened, Mm -hmm. you see, because there was contrary, (laughs) you know, things flowing. Though there was love, I have to say, there wasn't any nastiness between them. But the preaching brother went back to his preaching And the couple stayed and took over, but the the church was hurt. And uh, to this day has been hurt. So it it makes you realize how much leadership needs eyes, eyes that discern (laughs) and understand, you know. And uh, one of the perils, if I may put this to you, is that if a a dominant minister in a church is essentially an evangelist, he will try and te- turn everyone into evangelism? He'll try and make everybody in his own image you see and and that will be to the detriment of his church. It will not allow for full growth. Amen. Such big things, aren't they? Mm. How we need to lean upon the Lord.
2: I just have one question that kind of rises from what what you've said there, that you've spoken about a a dominant um, leader. Uh, Is that something that you would think to encourage or is that just tends to happen? Uh, by gift and um the way that the lord has made someone i know in the past you've you've kind of talked about a a number one and a number two that kind of imagery what what's your
0: i think i would prefer to have a look at my hand you know and uh, mm-hmm. there are five or you know components all connected but one happens to be a little taller than the others, (laughs) you know, and all are necessary for the grip. And I I think I I like that. So if there's only two, then amen, you have the same thing. But far nicer to have five for full grip. (laughs) You know, if I purposely chose the imagery of the rivulets, and the tributaries, and the fact that, say, in the the white, the blue, and I wish I could remember the name of the other.
2: Atbara, Atbara.
0: Thank you. Uh, You you had a dig on the computer, did you, for that one? It was Chris. uh, Thanks, Chris. Um, You know, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, because, of course, we went to that area, on a number of occasions years ago in, in, in Africa. And um, 60% comes from the blue, I think it is. 18% of the water comes from the white. And I think 20% or thereabouts comes from the akbara. Mm. And that will be how it is in a church too. Mm. The very gifting, the stream running, uh, through hearts and keep in mind always you see that I ought to be a different man to what I was 20 years ago the river should be running mm-hmm. with a greater clarity and perhaps even volume mm-hmm. in me and in you Mark in in all of us you see ladies and men in our contributions in the midst of the saints and Don't you long for churches like this because any of us who are alive in God want to contribute to the good of the whole, don't we? Even if we're going to some Anglican church, or I just think of a a lady we know named Mary, who is part of an Anglican church in her town. And um, there's virtually no one that's saved in the church except the minister. But that lady is totally given. She just gives herself. That's where she feels God has put her, and so the river's flowing in Mary, in as much as it's permitted to flow within the Anglican Communion setup. And uh, you know she's giving herself, and that's what we're to do. Oh, be a well-watered soul, brother, sister, and give of that water. You know, be a well-watered soul, wherever you're set, in as much as you're permitted. we went to Canada, and we moved to Canada, and we look back and well, I don't want to go into that. And uh, it wasn't the easiest years we had there. We were traveling a lot of it, but also there trying to help. you know, and we did what we could. And we gave ourselves to the people who and we let the river flow. And uh, there's at least one brother who was on last night on the big uh, Zoom last night. And I remember him saying to me, oh, you may not think that you should have really come here, but uh, if you hadn't come, I wouldn't be walking with God today. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, I thank God that you came, and we we gave him our home, we gave him our time, we gave him our love, his wife, his children, you know, and just enjoyed them all too, enjoyed them all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, give of your water, brothers and sisters. You know, seek not position, but if position emerges, Amen, Amen, be A lamb slain. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I've said before, I'm sure, haven't I? What chapter of John's Gospel does Jesus say, I'm the good shepherd? Chapter 10. And what's Jesus called in chapter 1?
2: The lamb of God. That's right.
0: That's God's order. That's God's way. Amen. So, does that help, Mark, as you ponder this?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, very much. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's very challenging and uh, very encouraging. You know, I think we often like mechanics in a sense, and our questions can be of a practical nature. And and you kind of zoom out and give us a glimpse of of heaven and the Lord's heart and um and there's part of us that still wants to say, yeah, but what about we these decisions <laughs> we need to make in our little fellowship there or whatever. But yeah actually it's it's much richer, it's much more glorious and uh yeah. you know our hearts are compelled and um mm-hmm. so so no we we uh, you know and we have to go to the Lord and, and trust that He'll lead us in those things rather than you know the mechanics that you know easy answers in a sense you know you might have been an easy answer to say what what you all need to do is appoint four elders and do it exactly like this and you know whatever uh but but it isn't like that the beauty of the church is so vast and varied and mm. and uh, the lord leads us in different paths in different ways so mm. it's 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 a blessing why don't we uh, take a moment to pray together uh, this is a, in a sense, it's a, it's a, serious, it's a serious subject and uh, such an important one. Um, unfortunately, many of us will have stories and situations where we yeah, sure. you know of leadership that's been unhealthy, of mm-hmm. people who have grasped position um, and, uh, mm-hmm. and grasped authority uh, in an unhealthy way. And not that lamb-like givenness, um, and so let's let's pray. Let's pray for one another. Yeah. Uh, let's pray that the Lord would be working these things in our hearts, in our lives, and in the situations where we are. So, if, if maybe a, a few could just lead us in prayer, that would be Amen. wonderful. Just, Amen. uh, unmute yourself and and lead us in prayer. Hmm. Dearest Lord.